0: Five bucks. Manorazzo's average in the 68 series was 310, not 315.
1: Oh, and uh, uh, friend and I are getting divorced. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta, And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And which episode are we talking about this time, Epi?
2: We are going to do season... For episode five this is a uh the episode is called the dog and pony show this was a recommendation uh from a listener of the show richard haddam uh he says he uh, sent us a, a dm via twitter
1: long long time listener and uh and uh detective patron over on patreon
2: yes uh, he says, Hey guys, just watched an episode I haven't seen in years, and I think you guys would love it. It's called The Dog and Pony Show, and it's a mini treasure trove of all the things we love. I won't say any more. Just check it out when you have a chance. You will not be disappointed. Uh, and I'm going to say, spoiler alert, um, I was not disappointed. <laughs> I, I, I really, really enjoyed this show. I'm really, uh, w- we've been doing some shows now that have been recommendations from the fans. I'd say keep that up. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We we don't have a master plan for the schedule. Like we we have some ideas of like finishing up some um, directors mm-hmm. the work the body of work from some of the directors that we've been doing. But like I do, yeah we're just we're hitting these as they occur to us.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a couple two parters that we've talked about, but we keep putting off because like the amount of work that goes into doing the two parter is. Yeah. more more than our standard episode and we've uh, i think i think a familiar thing to all of us at this point is only having so much energy to do right. to do things <laughs> um so we will we will get to the house on Willis Avenue eventually we promise <laughs> it's been great to get the recommendations cuz uh yeah it feels like we're um feels like we're we're doing what the people want and who are we mm-hmm. to say no
2: exactly yes
1: plus uh you know they're all good so <laughs> 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 so the dog and pony show i thought this was a different episode and then when it started i was like oh this is not the episode i had in mind so uh it was a bit it was pretty pretty fresh to me i have seen it before uh but i don't know if i've seen it more than once i don't know if i've rewatched it
2: i clearly had a conversation about this show probably with emily after i watched it years ago when i rewatched the rockford files which launched all of this right right um, because I, as soon as it started, I was on our 200 a day, Rockford files, files going, did we do this already? And <laughs> <Like, laughs> we, have we uh, are we finally at the point where we accidentally redo an episode <laughs> that we had done before? Uh, and it's not the case, but I, I clearly had a conversation about certain events in this, uh, with someone. So it was in my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so much that I was like, "Oh, I know how this is going to happen. I, I, I know what's happening next," or any yeah. of that.
1: I remember the once it started, I, I remember the premise, but I did not remember how it how it goes. So, which yeah. is the sweet spot for me usually because I'm then I am you know genuinely um, caught up with the, the the storytelling, and I feel like it gives me a better chance to to be a little more like. Not honest, uh necessarily, but I think for the ones where I'm already very familiar with them, I get very analytical right. in a way that might be less fun.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I try to resist that, but that's just, you know, how my brain works. So this is a little more like along for the ride just seeing how it happens.
2: I think also perhaps importantly, uh, I did not remember the twist. Right. Yeah. And th- that was the and then when it happened I was like, Oh, this is so good. <laughs> So we should say up top that this
1: episode and thus our episode does deal with mental illness. Yes. Rockford's uh, client slash the co, you know, co lead, co main character uh, is a woman who is in therapy for for symptoms of uh, anxiety and paranoid schizophrenia who has previously been hospitalized, but that is not part of the episode like we don't see her in that that's just part of her backstory yeah it is not like the competitive edge uh where right. there is a full-blown one flew over the cuckoo's next nest uh send up slash ripoff uh yeah. towards the <laughs> end which, or, which, which is a very un um, thoughtful portrayal of mental illness. I think right part of this episode is, and we see, and there's dialogue about this. Jim has this yeah. in his lines about like the difference between how society perceives people who have mental illness versus how they perceive themselves, and you know what that actually means for a person uh, versus the stereotypes. So it is in that vein. It's not a full issue episode. It's not about that no. really. It is part of the premise and part of the story um and i think it's handled you know it's it's generally pretty
2: solid yeah i think especially for the time yeah there's a point I mean, we'll probably talk about it when we get to it but there's a point where jim uh admits to having a stigma yeah yeah and uh against it and and you just you're just like yeah okay that's honest Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So that's just to say that content is in here. If yeah. that is a, a you know, a, a content issue for you. Um, there is certainly cartoonish stuff in this episode. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, most of it is not about mental illness. It's some of the other stuff.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, this episode is written by David Chase and uh, does have some signature <laughs> yes. David Chase mob stuff. No spoilers, but there is some there are some fun sudden reveals uh that yeah. are very <laughs> David Chase E, and it is directed by Reza Batty, who we recently talked about uh in our episode on Dwarf in a Helium Hat. But if you are coming fresh and haven't heard that episode, um it's extremely he's an extremely prolific television director. So this is the third of his seven Rockford Files episodes, and uh They're uh, uh, quite the distribution so far. Yeah. (laughs) All three of these have been very different. A lot of range, a lot of variety. Uh, Anything else before we get into the preview montage?
2: No, let's jump into it. All right. The preview montage starts with uh, another classic Jim quote. Uh, He's like, I'm scared for her. I'm scared for myself. (laughs) Admitting that he's scared. Then we see a jump. Uh, which is a rarity in Mm -hmm. the Rockford Files. We see a car car jump, I should say. Um, And then I have Angel with an exclamation point because, of course, when I see Angel in the opening montage, I'm I'm happy. Uh, And then a wonderful, this is the quote. I swear I talked about Rocky and Rocky's personality (laughs) when he's like, Uncle Sam is too good, too smart, too decent to do anything like this. And it was just like, that's so, so Rocky. Yeah. So naive about it. Uh, but then I think my favorite bit in the, the great ending is when Jim's like, well, first, she's going to make out a will. I'm going to make out a will. You're going to make out a will to Angel.
0: <laughs>
2: and Angel's like, a what? He a will, as in last will and testament. I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like Whatever this is, I hope they kill Angel again.
1: Yeah, my only other note was that uh, we we get to see all all the cast. We have Mm -hmm. uh, Angel, obviously, Rocky. There's also a shot in the preview montage of Dennis. Almost all of the cast, just uh, no Beth, unfortunately. Hello, listeners. This is a quick break before we get into the episode to say thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com two hundred a day. This show is free to all, but the support from patrons really goes a long way, so we always extend a special thanks to our gumshoes. This time, we say thank you to Chuck from WhatYourReading.com. Check out the site for reviews of books, games, movies, comics, and more. Paul Townend, who also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color, at FruitLoopsPod.com. Shane Liebling, you're playing games online, so check out his dice-rolling app Roll for Your Party at rollforyear.party. Jay Adan, Check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at jadon.com, Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Dave P., Dale Church, and Dave Otterson. And finally, we cannot thank our detective patrons enough for their generous support. Big thanks to Kevin Brown, Eric Antenner at Antenner on Twitter, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, Bill Anderson, at Billand88, and of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. Why become a patron for as little as $1 an episode? In addition to supporting the show and exclusive episode previews, our patrons get plus expenses, a bonus podcast where we casually chat about all the media we're currently enjoying and things going on in our lives. Help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it, and check out patreon.com slash 200 day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. We start off this episode with one of the greatest premises... Um, of the of the show so far I think we are at the LA County Courthouse uh, Jim and Angel are standing in front of a judge Angel apparently stole $207 worth of silver from a restaurant and hid it in Jim's trunk so even though Jim was unaware of this theft uh, he is still being being charged with
2: transporting stolen goods or something yeah yeah angel's lied it, it opens with angel going everybody takes a souvenir fork now and then and then we we can pan over <laughs> to this silver set that's just yeah,
1: this bound <laughs> of fine silver dining ware
2: oh so good strong opening
1: and so we confirm in this uh you know pleading with the judge that you know angel testified that jim had nothing to do with it mm-hmm. but that's that's no excuse um So he is handing down a 30-day sentence for Jim and a 90-day sentence for Angel. Mm -hmm. But he will suspend those sentences on condition that they receive psychiatric help.
2: So there's something meta about this moment because it definitely feels like this, like the two of you have gotten involved in more criminal and violent behavior than any normal citizen should have uh, you know like I, I don't know it just felt like a little bit like uh we've got to reach that point where we have to admit that uh at some point something will have stuck yeah <laughs> but it's great yeah so uh he sentenced them to uh essentially well the catalyst but also sort of the wraparound story of this this episode which is i quite like oh interesting yeah and thought about that but yes um Apparently,
1: this psychiatric help is going to take the form of uh, group therapy. Mm-hmm. And so we cut directly from Jim being mad at Angel, which is, again, a core um, starting point for an episode, <laughs> um, to the two of them in this group uh, with all the, I suppose, with all the trappings to tell us that this is a, a group therapy session.
2: Yeah, yeah. In 70s television, uh, this would probably be the setup for more jokes than it it delivers. Mm-hmm. Like, this would have been like, isn't this a ridiculous thing that people do, right? Especially people in LA sure, or, you know, like that. But one of the things I like about it is that most of the jokes are about how bull Angel is.
1: They're mostly at the expense of not taking it seriously. Not at the expense yes. of the people who are there, you know, because yes. they're working on something.
2: And the body language that Angel and Jim have, mm-hmm. the way they sit in their chairs that, uh, the, oh, it's so good. It just, I was really cautious going into this particular scene because I was like, oh no, I can't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, but it turned out not to be this old thing, I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, it does start with a with a, with a a very situation comedy gag mm. um, where uh, uh, one of the other members is telling a story and he's talking about how his clothes were Oh, yeah. Thrown down the stairs and he was getting kicked out. You know, the other um, participants are, you know, asking him, like, well, well, the important question is, did you stand up for yourself? <laughs> the whole setup is very much a, you know, someone getting kicked out by their romantic partner. But then the joke is he's like, I did. And I said, Mom, I'm not going to take it. Yeah. anymore." <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of a groaner. I was like, oh. yeah, but that's pretty much the only real. I don't know. The only one of those that I noticed. Pretty quickly transitioned to, uh, you know, what's up with Jim and Angel. Mm -hmm. Like, someone asks Jim what he he thinks, and he has just a very straightforward answer. Uh, They start talking about how, like, Jim really seems like he has his life together.
2: (laughs) That was a little, like, let's talk about how great our hero is. But it wasn't too bad.
1: Even the premise here is that he's not there because of something he did. He's there because of something Angel did. So, you know, he's... Going to do what he needs to do to not go to jail. Yeah. But I think his his honest reactions are very much like like kind of giving the advice you would give your buddy at the bar, right? Like they're not... He doesn't really have other stuff going on necessarily. Yeah. So Jim, he's a, he's a straight shooter. He has his life together. But Angel, he's a mystery. He's just been sitting there like a lump of lard. A lot of good Angel lines
2: in this episode. Angel hates being there. And Angel it's, it's wonderful. Angel hates being there
1: so much. Um, he... I mean, we've seen this before, I think, where he simultaneously is afraid of and, like, derisive of... People who need help. Uh, there's an end of an episode where Angel, like, they snuck him into a, a hospital, like, a mental hospital. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, this is great. I, I can just tell whatever stories they want and they'll listen to me. Like, <laughs> Angel, you you know that this, they're taking you seriously, right? He's like, no, no, no. And then he realizes that he's stuck there, right? Like, this is an element of his character where he doesn't yeah. take
2: this kind of stuff seriously. It's like, legitimately, he, he knows he... He belongs there. Yeah, <laughs> like Angel needs therapy. Mm-hmm. Angel needs help, uh, and he's uh, definitely putting himself in a situation where he, he won't. He doesn't want to admit it, he, he, and so he's he's very tight lipped.
1: And he turns that into being pretty pretty mean to the other yeah. people there. Yeah. Uh, for example, this line:
0: "Hey Doc, if I want to take guff off a bunch of bananas, I'll go down to the produce department at Safeway."
1: Mm. <sighs> But uh, the, the the group leader encourages him to confront, you know, these other people are giving you this guff. You should confront them. Tell them how you feel. And he's like, I, I, I can't do that right now. Someone close to me died and I'm in mourning. <laughs> and then under his breath, he goes, turkeys.
2: And everyone hears him.
1: We then uh, ask Mary Jo, how is she doing? Says that she's fine. No, no, she's not fine. Um, she's starting to feel like someone is out to get her again and that someone is always watching her. There's a little bit of conversation, but um, Mary Joe, you know, she will be the, the, the subject of our episode. Yeah. She was in the group previously, you know, working through some, like, paranoid issues, and it sounds like she felt like she was over those, and now what she's describing sounds to everyone else in the group like the same thing. Yeah. But she's saying, no, it's different, like, specifically, I'm pretty sure someone followed me home from, she teaches at an art school, uh, I feel like someone followed me home, feel like someone's literally, like, in the bushes watching me.
2: There's two sort of technical things that happen here that I think are really good. Like, Well, first of all, because of the opening montage, we know that a married Joe is important to the plot. We're already cued in to, to, to pay attention to what she's saying. But also there's this camera pan that they do as she starts talking mm-hmm. where they're panning over. I think they're panning over to her. But there's something about that camera pan that feels like murder mystery ominous <laughs> that makes yeah. you go like, okay, we've had our fun. Now it's time to get to the case.
1: Yeah. There's a change in tone from the humor to the, like, yeah, here's the
2: serious bit. It really drives it home. Like it, you, there's, there's no doubt that what she's about to say it helps that what she's about to say is the kind of thing that Jim would be very helpful for. Uh, she's being followed. Like Jim's great when people are being followed. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, but um, it's there's just the way it's presented is also very like, okay, it's time, it's time now to to pay attention. This is important.
1: We cut to the hallway where Jim and Angel are leaving, and Angel's just busting on the group about yeah. how ridiculous this whole thing is. And Jim stops him and says, "They're not crazy. They're just normal people with problems. They're trying to solve." all of us all ah jim
2: (laughs) yeah okay Uh, this is the point where in my notes i mentioned the clothing Mm. and the patterns the the
0: there's many many patterns patterns.
2: angel's shirt is amazing in this one uh but but mary joe uh is wearing uh i don't remember exactly what she's wearing but she's got so many patterns on her thing as well that when they're both in the scene it's quite good there's a lot going on Yeah,
1: Yeah. Mary Jo wants to talk to Jim uh, alone Mm -hmm. because she wants to know if he's available as a PI. Um, She thinks that she saw someone watching her from a car, and she thinks that someone tried to get into her apartment. Uh, And she's gotten over her persecution complex and that this is different, and she wants to find out what's going on. Jim is uh, apparently overcommitted. Uh, as it is, because he's so busy <laughs> with his insurance cases. And so he turns her down. We get the kicker at the end of the scene with Angel asking him, uh, you're overcommitted to what? Being broke? <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, getting us into the story. But I think also primarily with body language, this is also, I think, showing us that these there is a little something going on with them. There is some attraction.
2: Yes, uh, I think there are eyes being made, yes. uh, but it's hard to tell because they're not really focusing on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, you know, he's Jim. And the other thing is that she is so very bad in her appearance. Yeah. That you can't, you're like, well, if Jim has a type,
1: mm-hmm. that's
2: true. Yes. This woman is his type.
1: So Mary, Mary Joe is played by an actress named Joanne Nail, mm-hmm. uh, who was not in any other Rockford files and has a fairly limited um film biography, uh, which is kind of a shame because i I think she's really good. She's quite good, yeah, she does have a face that is physically similar to Gretchen Corbett's yeah. um, and her hair is also kind of similar and she's kind of the same size. There's a part of me that was kind of like, is she kind of a Beth stand in, <laughs> <laughs> but like the role is not one that Beth no. would be in. And so, yeah, I don't know how intentional it was to kind of be like cast someone who would, as you say, be Jim's type in this, if that was intentional or not. I have yeah, right. no idea. Uh, but I think she's, I mean, I think she's, she's very good in this episode. So it is what it is. Agreed. Also, I think that that contributes to Jim turning it down. Cause it's a l- little bit of a yes. sense of like not mixing business with personal life and this, whatever's happening in like this group therapy does, I think to Jim count as like personal, right?
2: Yeah. There's a thing here, um, you know, we talk about dialogue doing more than one thing. And angels lying there. The you're overcommitted to what? Being broke. First uh, is a great angel line. It shows us <laughs> the the angels thinking about the money and the money situation that Jim's in. It also sort of tells us that Jim is lying about being overcommitted, or at least that's not how everybody who sees Jim's situation would you know perceive it. And I think that sets it up for this dynamic here where like exactly what you were saying that this it's angel telling us the audience that Jim is making excuses for not getting involved. And it's also probably because like you were saying, the the mixing the business with pleasure, but also Jim doesn't want to, I would think that there were some ethical implications if you went to group therapy and then with people who possibly have delusions of being followed and then, uh, offered your services as a private detective right like there's but angel on the other hand would look at that situation as a gold mine uh so i I really like that moment there that that does a great job of like showing us both characters but also establishing the situation uh going forward here
1: we then get our episode credits over uh mary Jo driving home uh she comes home with her groceries and uh Her dog, her dog's name is Pepper, uh, is barking at the bedroom door inside the apartment. So she goes over and and opens it, and there is a a man in dark clothing (laughs) ominously in the room. And then uh, her dog aggressively chases him out of the open window (laughs) in a very chaotic scene. Uh, He jumps out the window. This dog jumps out the window, chases him across the street. He jumps into his van and peels out uh we have we have pepper to the rescue and then unfortunately we do not see pepper again in the rest of the episode yeah
2: oh pepper is such a gorgeous dog too
1: Pepper's very pretty
2: yeah um i had this thing where as the title sequence is going i wrote down in my notes at least mary Jo was in the opening montage so i know she doesn't disappear here right like i had some fears but i'm like okay those fears are fine they're done and then when pepper jumped out that window i was like oh no not pepper i know and she's calling she's like no pepper come back i'm like oh no but the dog is fine i will say one thing there's a few moments in this episode where the um audio is a little weird i thought there was a second dog in the room
1: i think it was just like a processed audio of the dog barking
2: yeah but like it it made me think that there was a dog behind in the bedroom as well. Like the, mm-hmm. like Pepper was angry at a dog in the bedroom. And I kept thinking, well, not kept. It was only a brief moment, but I was thinking, Oh my God, who brings a dog to a break <laughs> in? <laughs> there's also,
1: I don't remember if it's in the initial, uh, setup or if it's in a later group scene, but there's, there's a bit where, um, the camera kind of pans around to everyone else while Mary Jo is telling her story. And that's yeah. like pretty obviously ADR in, um, yeah.
2: There's like a lot of details in it that they're like, oh, we need to get that in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this action happens and we are also being definitively shown that she, you know, has reason to be worried. Yeah. Like, here's an actual person in her actual house. Uh, So this episode is not about the is she, isn't she, what's actually happening.
2: Right. Which is a relief.
1: (laughs) Yeah. This episode is about the thing that is happening. Yeah. We cut to Jim uh, in the apartment talking to Mary Jo. um, She doesn't think it was a robbery because nothing was taken. Uh, Well, maybe you just surprised him. And she's like, well, how long does it take to take, you know, this expensive camera and like this jewelry that's right
2: here? Okay. It is a $1,200 camera. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to put this in our our 1977 $1,200. Calculate. $5,000 camera. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) What?
2: Yeah.
1: I mean she does teach photography.
2: Yeah, no no. I mean I I believe I've just like, yeah, that's an expensive piece of equipment. Yeah.
1: Uh well Jim of course does not want to jump to conclusions and he finds a pen on the floor for the Nuco Car Leasing Company. And they talk about it. He like asks her if yeah. it's hers and she's like, Oh, who knows who gets where you get pens. So let's put that aside for a moment. Uh the rest of the scene they have a little bit of banter. Um yeah as they build up to whether he's gonna take the case or not. And of course he will because uh let him do what he's good at it and he'll let her do what she's good at, which is moping. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of I don't know, gets her gets her attention, and he asks if it's not too personal, can you tell me more about what the problems that you were talking about in group, you know, what's, yeah. what's the deal? <laughs> so I, I know what's happening with you. Uh, and she explains more of her backstory. Uh, she had a love affair with a man. Uh, it didn't go so well in the aftermath of that. She thought the world was against her, but she's worked through that and she got over it and. Um, and now she's teaching photography and she's still working on, you know, still working on her problems. And, and she literally says, and that's it. And we end the scene with Jim smiling and validating her. Right. And saying,
2: yeah, that's it. If you haven't seen the episode before, if you, if you're not like, if you're coming at it unarmed and you're just trying to figure out what's happening, like you said, we just established that it's not a, uh, is it all in her head or not episode? Right. Mm-hmm. We then establish, but she does, legitimately had or at least legitimately had some issues uh we don't know if the the history she gave is part of the greater case Mm -hmm. but now looking back on it having watched the whole episode um it's true like she she had she had a breakdown after a breakup which Mm -hmm. you know happens to people but that doesn't mean that she's wrong about all the stuff that has happened since which is great here's a question for
1: you Mm -hmm.
2: what's up with the pen (laughs) You're right. i had forgotten
1: about it until getting back to here in my notes, and it is treated expressly
2: as a potential clue. He even, like, says he'll take the case now because it's a piece of cake. Because, like, now I've got the pen. The pen will... Well,
1: he's like, it's a piece of cake. I have this, and I have part of a license plate and a van that's black or yeah. gray
2: or blue or yeah. green or <laughs> <Yeah>. dark red. <laughs> no, that's a very good question because I don't think they do come back to it. Yeah. And it's not tied into... How he figures out where the van is from.
1: No, he just l- looks up the license plate number. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you get a bunch of clues and you take the ones that work. Yeah, that's no, all. exactly. It's just like, <laughs> is it a cute kind of nod to like, here's a clue, but that's not what this episode is about. Yeah. The investigation, such as it is, is pretty, pretty limited. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of like, why is it in here? <laughs> like, why is it in this scene? Like, is it part of a storyline that got cut out? And they just couldn't edit it out or it didn't make sense to edit around it?
2: Or is it in there as kind of a joke? Now he's on the case. The former, I think, seems very likely. Because, like, all of the stuff around that is good banter. It's mm-hmm. really good between showing the two of them. Uh... Like, they do
1: a close-up on the pen so you can read... Yeah. The name of the car lease, like I wrote it down in my notes, Nuco Car Leasing Company, because i was like, yeah, clearly this will be important later.
2: <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe they just had a a, a product placement. Maybe. No, <laughs> so that
1: is the last we ever hear about the Nuco Car Leasing Company. Yes. Um, we do cut to Jim in disguise. We know he's in disguise because <laughs> yeah. he's wearing glasses. <laughs> <laughs> he is at a boutique where he is um, looking for whoever was driving a van in this neighborhood with this license plate number. He says that he's uh, Jim Slate from a local radio station and that this van was spotted driving crazy. And so the driver has won the radio station's Nice Guys Finish First award.
2: No, it was driving courteously.
1: Oh, courteously. Yes, that makes so much more sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought he said crazily and I did not know what this meant. That makes much more sense driving courteously. Yes. And the award is uh two albums on vinyl, of course, and a thousand dollars if he can answer the pop music question of the day. Mm-hmm. So this boutique is owned by a guy, uh I forget if they give us his name here, but he is Vic.
2: Yeah. No, they clearly don't give us because if if they told us his name was Vic, we would know. We
1: would know. (laughs) (laughs) But he, you know, he's an older guy with uh, salt and pepper hair, and he's like, "Oh, oh, gee
0: thanks." No, listen, I could use uh, an extra thousand dollars. My kid just yanked out every brace in her mouth. (laughs) But uh, no, I drove my van to my home in Truesdale. You must have the wrong license. Damn it. Oh Vic, you're such a poop. What'd you have to tell him that for? He never would have known.
2: Yeah, my notes are. This is too honest of a man. Like, <laughs> and, and they they kind of make a thing of it. And so there's a thing I thought Jim was doing here that he he does later, which is the like Jim being obvious about the fact that he's doing running a con. To mm-hmm. see if the other person catches on to that. Right. I don't think that's what he did here. I think he legitimately thought this guy was just too nice of a guy. There's like
1: a a, a woman who like runs the checkout counter and she's there saying like, Yeah. You know, you could have just gone with that and I hire her to run my cash register. Can you yeah, believe yeah.
2: it? <laughs> <laughs> He's good. He's definitely affable. Like, I like this guy.
1: So, Jim, you know, you get the feeling that he has uh, struck out with this line of inquiry
0: yeah we
1: we cut from there back to the group where you can tell by jim's expression that angel is telling lies
0: he's talking about how
1: poor he was when he grew up and before christmas one year they hit a pig on the road and that was the only christmas that they that they all ate dinner and then he got that pigskin stuffed as a football as a gift yeah
2: oh my god i'm glad you have more notes in it than i did because my notes at this point were angel oh angel oh angel (laughs) yeah
1: yeah and jim kind of calls him on it's like didn't you tell me that your dad owned three grain silos uh so there's some competitive poverty stories um and again you see that no one really like they keep giving angel chances they're like come on you know tell us something real and he launches into another story but then they do get around to mary joe telling the story of the break-in and they asked Jim about it because that's part of the story that he's involved and he says that uh, he traced the license plate and I think he specifically says like you know the people I talked to seemed like seemed real straight or something like that yeah I didn't see the tie-in like I don't see any connection between this boutique and this break-in And so I think largely because Jim, he's not saying like, oh, nothing happened. But he is saying like, I I followed up on what I could and I don't, I haven't figured anything out. Uh, The other group members start saying that it sounds like the same kind of thing for Mary Jo that landed her in the psychiatric hospital. And Jim didn't know that she had been
2: institutionalized. Why didn't you tell me?
1: Because of that that look. You'd never have taken the job.
2: Well, you don't know that. When I take on a job, there there are certain risks. Uh, Legal hassles, physical threats. It's bad enough without having my own client pull the rug out from under me.
1: So that's just another way of saying you
0: just don't work for Flippos. You put it that way, I probably wouldn't have.
1: And so she's, you know, I think understandably
2: upset and... Defensive. And Jim's response is very honest, Mm -hmm. but not terribly tactful. Right. Uh, There's a couple of things. I really like this scene because Mm -hmm. it complicates things, but it doesn't complicate the case. uh, Jim has a legitimate concern, but also she's right. And that's really good. Like Mm -hmm. she actually should have tricked Jim the way she tricked him. Like I don't (laughs) feel that... uh, she's wrong in doing that um but also i don't think jim is wrong in being suspicious of these sorts of things because yeah like he he does get put in danger and if he doesn't have all the information he doesn't have the tools he needs but the the point is is that like uh i think they handled this part really well Mm -hmm. and the other thing i really like is that I mentioned this before. This is almost like a framing mechanism, this therapy session. It's not quite. It's like halfway to a framing mechanism. Mm -hmm. So it's not a framing mechanism in the sense of like, now we're
1: going to tell the story of what happened. Right. We're not shifting around in time. It has a really good narrative purpose in that it gives these natural ways for Jim to learn about Mary Jo's past because they're in context with people who already know it. And then it's also kind of like, uh, it's a good pacing mechanism.
2: It gives us a chance to digest what just happened in the story. Yeah. And contextualize it, which is exactly what they're doing. And maybe sort of one of the features of group therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, yeah. uh, So I really like the scene. Uh, And I'm saying that like that because going into this whole thing, I was like, oh, no.
0: (laughs) (laughs)
1: For a
2: number of reasons, but uh, it turns out that I think they did it it well.
1: It also gives this episode an interesting character in contrast to some of the ones we've done recently, where this episode is very much like Jim with people. Like he's kind of Mm -hmm. with groups of people almost all the time. And we've done at least one or two recently where it's very much like Jim is off having the story in a place by himself. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it's the other side of Jim where we get to see him kind of being very socially aware, and he's not always like problem solving all the time. That said, the next scene is him by himself, uh <laughs> driving driving the Firebird, and he notices that someone is following him. And I sat up. And I was like, "All right, yeah, I'm ready for this scene." <laughs> he pulls a little stratagem to confirm that he is in fact being followed. Where he pulls some tight tight turns and sees the car accelerate to to follow him, and he finally takes a turn into like a. a cross street that is blocked by a bunch of construction there's a big hole and the construction barriers around it he stops this car pulls up behind them and stops he gets out and like goes like he's checking his front tires and he sees a visitor sticker on the front bumper of the following car for the hospital that mary joe said that she had been in yes and then we cut into the car
2: (laughs) this is where oh Yes.
1: Richard, Mr. Haddam, if you will. Good call. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the the prime follower in said car is George Loros, who we on this show know affectionately yeah. as Anthony Boy Gadgeo. <laughs> <laughs> from our early 2020 examination of the Anthony Boy saga, uh, yes. which occurs later in the series.
2: He also plays another character in a two-parter, in the same year that he play uh, comes back as Anthony Boy, this is really interesting. Same year as this, he plays Anthony Boy in the first two-parter, and then when he comes back to play Anthony Boy to reprise the role in The Man Who Saw the Alligators, who in that same season he plays somebody named Eddie in a two-parter. Mm-hmm. Then we've done his entire Rockford oeuvre. So we are almost there. Yeah. Let's 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 make sure we do that soon because. Yeah, oh, the the moment I see him, I was like, I really like this guy. Why do I really like this guy? And then, so, oh, yeah, yeah, he
1: plays three characters over seven episodes, which yes. is <laughs> pretty good. You know, go back and listen to our, I think particularly our our episode on the man who saw the alligator um, yeah. to talk about uh, his his whole deal and his acting and everything. George Laros, he's great. Uh, he is, of course, playing a mobster here, Tommy. They give him such
2: good lines, too. This is stupid. He looks stupid. We look stupid. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like Rockford turned down the alleyway to just make sure that he's being followed. Yes. And then the alleyway has this construction, so he can't go any further. So he comes out to pretend to check his tire pressure. Yeah just casual but this is definitely this case where everybody involved knows what's actually happening (laughs) and nobody knows how to break the facade yeah and what's great is just having this character this tommy lorenz just stated out loud to his partner like what are we even pretending now
1: oh yeah so they get out his his first feeble lie is that they're following a map and they got lost. Uh Jim picks up a, a convenient two by four. Yes. He says, you'll get something like you'll get more than lost. If you don't tell me why you were following me. And then they use his name, Mr. Rockford. We just want to know what, uh what case you're working on. We know your PI Jim, of course, will would not break his uh confidentiality until the, the other guy, the other goon, <laughs> we have Tommy and the goon and the goon pulls a gun. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want to know what case I'm working on? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: Oh, well, it's a divorce case. Yeah, there's a guy named Milbank out in Calabasas. He went up and married a 19-year-old French gymnast at the Olympics up in Montreal. You know, yeah, he's trying to figure out why he can't keep her at home.
2: I mean, the man's 62 years old. This is, I think, the technical uh, definition of blather. Yes, he is, in fact,
1: blathering, uh, uh, lulling them with his tale of, of silliness until the goon's attention wanders enough that he hits the gun out of his hand with the 2 by 4 and then he makes his break for the Firebird, where he jams on the gas and makes the exciting launch of the car over the uh, construction pit that we had seen from the preview montage.
2: Two things about that jump. Number one, I was expecting more of a run-up for it. Yeah, he backs up like three feet and then just goes for it. Uh, So it it kind of impresses the hell
1: out of me. Well, (laughs) I think... If I remember right, there's a cut. Yeah. The car actually launching, I'm sure, had much more run-up than (laughs) (laughs) what we see on camera.
2: Uh... And then I think to myself, oh, my God, that that can't be good for the car. And then and then the start
1: of the next scene is a long shot of the Firebird pulling into a parking lot with the front driver's side wheel all cockeyed. So it's (laughs) spinning off its axis like it's about to fall off. Their their on-set mechanics earned their keep that day.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And that's the last we see of the Firebird this episode.
1: So it's like, you think they did the jump and then they're like, no, we can still drive it. Let's just, let's just get the shot.
2: <laughs> it looked sickening. <laughs> like it's it just, it was one of those moments like you just like, oh no, no, it doesn't fit the way that fit together that way. It
1: is the, the benefit of the practical effects uh, really bringing home the reality of Jim's yeah. Jim's world. <laughs> Where he's pulling in is uh, to to meet Mary Jo as she leaves, presumably, the class that she teaches. And uh, he says that he's going to stay on the case. He has a good news, bad news kind of situation Mm -hmm. for her. The good news is that she's sane as anybody. But the bad news is that someone might want to cancel her scholarship. Uh. Which she doesn't seem to quite understand that he means Like someone might want to kill you. Right. He asks, is there there anything stemming from her hospitalization that might explain why she's being followed? And she can't think of anything. It was just an expensive, private mental hospital. And he kind of tries to dig a little bit, and she's clearly ashamed about her stay there, right? Yeah. Uh, The fact that she had to go and the fact that she has to talk about it. Jim stops her and says... I bet you're the only person that you know who thinks your mental illness is so shameful. I think he's kind of like apologizing for yeah, his yeah. very untactful remarks to her, partly. And again, he is he's doing the gym thing that we like so much, <laughs> where even if he doesn't necessarily agree with her, though I don't think he like disagrees with her or anything, but like in this moment he is validating how she feels. Yeah. Uh, he's like, I'm not here to judge you. I just need to know this because it's important. Mm-hmm. And you're you're ashamed of this, but you don't have to be. Yeah, that's the the good friend validating Jim that we like so well. <laughs> but she doesn't want anyone to get hurt. Forget exactly the line, but it's like if she had to choose, she like rather be crazy than have anyone get hurt.
2: Yeah, something like that.
1: Which is not really her choice to make. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but she does think of something. Uh, there was a patient there in isolation who had attendants around him all the time. But one night they he was able to talk to her through the wall or whatever. And he said he was an American intelligence agent who was involved with overthrowing the Chilean government and that he was going to write a book about it. But, uh, you know, the agency got to him first and he was uh, being put away to keep him to keep him quiet.
2: So this is not the first time we've interacted with uh, the coup uh, in Chile, right? Is it? I can't remember what episode, but I, I remember the Chilean coup coming up in a previous episode and it had something to do with angel
1: i'm sure it has come up at some point i do not remember it specifically but maybe one of our listeners will remind us here we will be getting into the nia yes which we will remember from uh the battle axe and the exploding cigar
2: yes that's a good one
1: where we talk about this uh the presence of the nia as a stand-in for the CIA, essentially, but mm-hmm. uh, the National Intelligence Agency. I believe we talked about that a little bit because that's not a real agency, right? And we're like, is that mm-hmm. a, just a TV thing or was there some kind of like fear? Like it would be bad to mention actual intelligence agencies. And I believe uh we got some comments from listeners uh, along the lines of there were other shows in the 70s that also referred to the NIA just as a thing. So yeah. it seems like it was just like what people did instead of talking about the CIA.
2: At some point, somebody called it the National International Intelligence Agency. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the NIA is, is clearly the CIA, uh, as we will learn as we get more into the subplot about the Chilean government. But you weren't expecting that, were you? No. Listener. <laughs> and I think we see Jim being like, aha, mm-hmm. I now see how, this thi- how these things are coming together. We're going to take a quick break so that everyone can... Walk around, stretch, get a refreshing beverage of choice, and uh, find out where you can find us on the internet when we're not talking about the Rockford files. Of course, 200 a day can be found at 200 a patreon.com slash 200 a day, and on Twitter at 200 pod. You can also email us at 200 a day podcast at gmail.com. Epi, where can our final listeners find you elsewhere on
2: the internet? Uh, you can find my games at dig1000holes.com. That's dig and then the number 1000 and then holes.com. Or you can find my sword and sorcery fiction and games at worldswithoutmaster.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. Uh, where can we find you upon this internet?
1: All of my stuff, including my game design, my freelance Graphic design and layout work and other projects that I do, like zines and podcasts, are at ndpdesign.com. You can also find me on Twitter at ndpeoletta. Uh I'm also on Instagram at the same handle where you can see
2: pictures of my dog. I hope you're comfortable with your favorite beverage in hand as we return you now to the show.
1: We cut to Dennis, uh, because of course Jim is going to file a police report. Uh... <laughs> Apparently, this patient uh, or potentially agent is named Joseph Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. In, in the course of this, I think we get Jim's line from the preview montage of, I'm afraid for her, I'm afraid for myself. Yeah. Because uh, things are getting heated uh, now that people are coming after Jim
2: about this. And Dennis's line that's like, you know what you sound like, a conspiracy buff. <laughs> <laughs> Cutting. The L.A. Police
1: Department has nothing to do with the National Intelligence Agency. hmm <laughs> They're barred from operations, from domestic operations, right? They only do yeah. stuff overseas. But Jim thinks that what's been happening to Mary Jo is connected to this agent that was in the mental hospital. He, he has a line where he says, uh, you know, the guys that came after me. know, one of the guys had a hog this big. And that joke lands very differently today than I think yeah. <laughs> it did in 1977. He means the gun. And he's putting yes. his hands about 14 inches apart. I remember that gun. It was not
2: that big. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think we need to know more about the size of anyone's hog in this uh, yeah. episode, but I, I thought that was funny. Jim just wants to know if Dennis has some contact that he can call at the NIA to confirm whether this agent even exists. And uh, even though he's not supposed to, he gives Jim the name of a guy who heads up the L.A. branch office. And we end with a joke of,
2: you know, L.A. branch office. Since when is Los Angeles a foreign country? So we have an establishing shot of a big federal building,
1: and Jim pulls his second and final fast talk con. It's not really fast yeah. talk, but con of the episode where he poses as a messenger who's been hired, you know, through through a messenger service to bring a package from the LAX VIP lounge to Agent Joseph Bloomberg.
2: So this is this is the one where. It's not stated out right, but I think that Jim, Jim's going here thinking, okay, this could be just, uh, I don't even know if this is like, if the place he's going, because he has the suite. So he has the suite number.
1: Yeah, so he has like the right address,
2: right? But like, I don't know if it's advertised that this is where the NIA is. I don't think it is. It feels like Jim is deliberately going in with a cover that's like if it isn't the nia nobody's gonna know what he's talking about and that's fine or whatever Mm -hmm. but if it is they're going to react in a way that he's going to like i don't think he's going in thinking he's going to fool the nia i think he's going in to see how they respond right to him mentioning this agent's name
1: his goal is to find out whether this person actually exists
2: yeah, he knows yeah. that there's
1: no one there is going to be like, oh, that's me. Yeah, uh, which would be also be an interesting twist, right? Like that's yeah. this episode <laughs> could have gone in that direction, right? And I think this is all telegraphed. You know, the the way yeah. that the guy he interacts with, NIA agent Bill Simons, we get all the tells that this is in fact, you know, an intelligence operation or whatever. So what actually happens in the scene? Jim gives the uh, gives his cover story. He says, "Well, there's no one, no one here." Agent, did you say? So it's even <laughs> like. Why would anyone called an agent be at this innocuous right. <laughs> you know, office in this building? And we see him try to get more information from Jim. Like, where did you get it? Who was the guy who gave it to you? What did he look like? Like that kind of stuff. And Jim has lots of like non-reply replies. Like, oh, just a yeah. guy. He says, uh, hold on one second. And he makes a phone call to Martin. Hey, just a reminder to have my car washed and waxed, clearly a code phrase. Uh, and then he goes into another room to make a call. He thinks he knows, you know, someone who might be able to help him. Then we cut to the garage where Rocky's pickup is there. And we see these, these agents check it out. They, you know, take a look, look in the glove box, et cetera. Our guy comes back out, says there was an agent, Joseph Bloomberg. He was with the Department of Weights and Measures. I love and that. their office here shut down. But, you know, if you want to give me the package, I have a buddy who uh, works at w in San Diego, and he can probably pass it along. And so Jim, uh, you know, has him signed for it and leaves. And then our agent calls for senior staff, my office,
2: yeah. now. <laughs> uh, the aftermath of this visit from Jim is is great. It's just...
1: <laughs> it's very good. I, I mentioned in our, in, in our intro that there's some cartoonish stuff in this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like... This guy in particular, the older agent, Simons, mm-hmm. he seems very hammy to me.
2: <laughs> okay, so looking back on it now, knowing what the twist is at the end and, and what's actually going on here. Because watching it without knowing what's going on, we have people that ostensibly are NIA agents pull a gun on Jim earlier. Like they chase him down into an alleyway and they pull a like. Oh, right. What
1: well, we saw earlier. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Now these people are coded in a different way, and later on we figure out why and yeah. all that. But like,
1: yeah, I don't think I felt like the uh, Tommy and his goon were NIA. I did feel like, oh, now we're bringing in an additional an additional interest.
2: So th- to me, like the this whole thing that happens after Jim leaves is yeah is meant to feel like a spy show. Yes. It's meant to feel like it came right out of Mission Impossible or, you know, something else. They're throwing up all these hypotheses. They're trying to figure like it's a whole lot of theory about who this Bloom Bloomberg is. Alternative scenarios. <laughs> scenario number 1,
0: <clears throat> Bloomberg works in this office, identity altered. Why, Bill? Why indeed, logical extension of scenario 1. Bloomberg works in or near this office on a project that's top drawer. Too top drawer for us to handle, according to the brass in
2: Washington. But you're right. Like, there's the way he walks towards the camera when he's being thoughtful.
1: He's really emoting.
2: Yeah. And uh, there's that one guy who's just really eager to help him out. Yeah. Going behind our backs?
0: Well, i got to admit, it wouldn't be the first time.
2: Or uh, scenario two, there is no top
0: drawer project. Bloomberg, or just codename Bloomberg, is sent by headquarters to interface with us to compile an efficiency report and then to put on a big dog and pony show for the brass? A definite possible.
1: Oh, yeah, we get the name of the episode. Yeah. So so the deal here is that no one knows an agent Bloomberg. So, you know, Jim has come in, tossed out this feeler, and everyone there is like, why is he asking about this guy? What's happening? Something must be happening. Though they do say the most likely scenario is just a mistake or something innocuous. However, there are other scenarios. It uh, could be a mole. Or it could be a test scenario to see how we respond to new input.
2: But I think the, the major purpose of this scene is the very next scene. Yes. Because don't we go from here to the dinner table? And uh, just the difference between this elite force hmm. of national intelligence agents To the Rockford files, (laughs) to the Jim Rockford detective agency.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is very good. Uh, We do end the scene with him uh, saying that he does want Rockford uh, wired and followed. Yeah. So I did want to note, so our main agent, this guy, um, Simons, is played by Walter Brook, who was also Mr. Gertmanian in Just Another Polish Wedding, Ah. uh, as as recently covered in... um, Malibu Madness. Yes. Uh, He's also in The Dark and Bloody Ground, which I don't remember very well. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, As well as one more appearance in the show. Um, The other, the the eager guy, who is the other agent that we'll see later, Agent Mike Krasny. He's played by Michael Bell, who uh, was also in one of the Rockford Files. But I was just checking his stuff out, and he is a, a very prolific voice actor. And so he's all over, like superhero cartoons from the oh. era from then till now. Like he was a voice in Darkwing Duck. He did a bunch of Nickelodeon stuff. He was a voice for Rugrats uh, and into the video game era. He's done voice work for a ton of video games. So it was just like, oh, what an interesting person. <laughs> yeah. If you really want to go down memory lane with uh, superhero cartoons of the 70s and 80s, though, this guy, oh Michael God, Bell, yeah. everywhere.
2: He's in all of it. Yeah. Like, yeah, just scrolling through it. I'm like, yeah, the gargoyles.
1: And their contrast is so funny because Simon's is so kind of like scene chewy and over the top. And yeah. then Krasny is kind of like, all right, well, what should we do next? Like he's extremely naturalistic. Yeah. <laughs> so just the two of them, I'm sure it's just, you know, casting like whatever. Uh, I don't think there's anything there. It's just they're they're kind of a fun watch, the two of them. But yes, as you say, we go from this to dinner at Rocky's house. <laughs> Opening with a shot of Angel, reaching out with his fork and getting two biscuits. Yes, Rocky, Mary Jo, Angel, and Jim. Jim is filling in, filling in some stuff for them and for us. He knows that there's something going on with that office. Uh, He would have noticed if the guy was actually calling around the building because no light came on on his secretary's phone. So, you know, they're giving him some kind of runaround. And the owner of the boutique, who who, uh, had not been driving the van, uh, went on a sudden buying trip and no one knows where. So there's suddenly a little bit of sinister, like, oh, what's up with that? After all, Jim doesn't know where to go next, except that he uh, wants to talk to this Agent Bloomberg. Which Mary Jo doesn't think is a good idea. He's You know, there's it's too hard to get in there, etc. But he has no choice. He will need a diversion. And now Angel knows why he was invited to dinner.
2: <laughs> yes. It's great because Angel is just not paying attention to the conversation at all. And so focused on the food. It's like the best biscuits he's ever had. Mm. You know, all of that. And then he's like, oh, invite me over. My favorite meal.
1: Which is fried chicken, biscuits, collard yeah. greens. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's good. You don't buy Angel Martin with a couple of drumsticks and some red eye gravy. Yes. So, because Angel, of course, doesn't want to put himself in danger, but he doesn't want it, anything to do with the government. Yeah. And Jim starts off asking and then ends up telling him <laughs> that he needs his help, including the use of his car. Uh, but he just got the Naga hide seats and the caddy just the way he wants them. Yes. But apparently, I feel like this is new to us. Who loaned him the 200 bucks to buy it in the first place? Yes. And who's going to take the pink slip if he doesn't come through? Though <laughs> so in the way that he does, Jim leans on Angel, gets him to reluctantly agree, and then takes his colored greens away from him at the end of the <laughs> at the end of the scene.
2: I do I love the way Angel uh, or Jim strong-arms Angel. I don't know why. I mean it's it's not a great relationship. Yeah. But I feel like we haven't seen it for a
1: while, so when he did yeah. I was like, "Oh yeah, he does this." <laughs> All right, we uh, cut to the next grift, uh, which is Angel pulling up outside this hospital at night and honking his horn.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. This caddy, this is so Batmobile. I mean, obviously, uh, let me just quick check the Rockford Files files. Uh, It's a caddy. Uh, It's a 5960 caddy, but it's got those fins on the back. Mm -hmm. uh, And it also looks like it's in rough, rough shape.
1: It has big primer yeah. spots on it. Uh, so his he he pulls up and honks, gets the attendant's attention. He comes out.
0: You're not supposed to be on these grounds past 9 p.m. I'm lost. I was supposed to be at the Santa Barbara Arms just at this keyboard sales convention. I left showroom four hours in Los Angeles. This thing, now it's going to stop on me.
1: <laughs> um, because he has a custom stick shift, he needs... Yeah to get a push to get going. And so that's the distraction distractions. He gets the attendant to, you know, help him push this heavy ass car all the way down this long driveway. So while that is happening, Jim sneaks around the back and finds the right cell, I guess, which has a big wind. I guess they all have these big windows with wire mesh over them. Yeah. Cause at first I was like, did he get inside? Is that some like atrium? The geography of this scene is a little uh, confused, but it's fine. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Sure enough, he has come to the cell of, a man who answers to uh, Bloomberg, who indeed is uh, a little frantic and a little paranoid. I think that's fair to say. Uh, Jim describes Mary Jo and says, you told this woman something. I want you to tell me the story that you told her. He's like, ah, oh, very smart. You need to check. Yeah. <laughs> Back out front, the orderly gives up. He's like, I'm not going to keep pushing your car. <laughs> I'll call the motor club. <laughs> uh So he's heading back inside. We cut back and Bloomberg is telling his story, which is he was in deep cover as a professor of Latin American studies uh, in Chile. The NIA was part of the, you know, back the coup and that Salvador Allende was was shot by American trained experts with American made guns. And Jim's like, all right, can you give me a name? Just someone out here that I can talk to? Like, yeah, (laughs) I hear your story. But like, can you give me something solid? And the guy continues not giving him anything solid. And then Angel comes down to tell them that they're blown and they need to get out and recognizes the guy in the cell. Hey, that's Joey B. (laughs) He's all mobbed up. Yeah. On hearing that name, I think this is the most interesting part about this. Joey B, that was a cover, but like, I can't be Joey B. He's unclean. Yes. There's like this little nugget of explanation for this character's story which is super interesting
2: yeah this is kind of great because we do get like a little bit of what's actually happening uh that our most reliable person in the scene is angel yeah which is great i like angel's fear when he realizes who this guy is <laughs> He's like, we have to go what are you doing
1: but also like the wisdom of bringing angel is that this kind of stuff happens because angel's gonna know people
2: right yes Exactly. Um, It's a little cartoony about the problem because this guy legitimately has some disorder. Yeah, he's like
1: legitimately like schizophrenic.
2: Yeah. So I am not equipped to tell whether or not this is a a accurate or compassionate portrayal of that. Right. Yeah. I'm going to guess it's not. And then just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. It's meant to make us suspicious of Everything that's happened so far, yeah. Uh, which it works. In my notes, are like, is this guy even Bloomberg, or right. is he just, you know, somebody?
1: Did he make up that name? And
2: yeah, but the Angel's reaction to him is the part that I'm like, oh, that's what's happening. There's just something about it in the Rockford Files that when Angel had, you can't trust Angel until Angel is terrified, right? <laughs> and then, and then it's like, oh. Oh, okay. Now that's a real reason. Mm-hmm. That's why Angel, you should be paying attention to what Angel's doing here. Yeah.
1: Um I agree. <laughs> I think the only thing I wanted to say was that that, that, that little note that I think was most interesting to me about like, Joey B was unclean.
0: Yeah, that's good. That
1: does a lot to make this slightly less like I agree, I don't know how accurate or compassionate this betrayal is and I presume yeah. not very, but there's something there that's a little bit of grounding of like someone who has constructed an alternate reality cuz their re- cuz their reality was one that they weren't willing to keep experiencing. Yeah. Cuz we learn more as we'll learn basically in the next scene. That you know, this guy married into the mob. Yeah, that is probably a rough way to, you know, have a life go. And then if you already are having some kind of uh, some kind of mental health issues, you can see how that would suddenly escalate from that point.
2: And concerned parties have probably told him that he can't tell anyone that he's Joey B.
1: Mm, yes, absolutely.
2: In in the created fiction of this spy
1: in in kayfabe,
2: yeah. The- <laughs> then Joey B is definitely a identity a persona that he can't, that there's no longer available to him.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they, they get out of there. They run to Rocky's truck. So it is never stated, but now that we have gone through it, it makes sense that Jim is driving Rocky's truck. Cause clearly the firebird is messed up. Yes. Yes. Which <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, uh, I love that. That's just how it is. Like it's not yeah. part of the plot. <laughs> it's just like, Oh, that's why he's driving Rocky's truck everywhere. <laughs> anyway, they have to leave angels Cadillac, his poor baby. Uh, and they take off kind of, over some some rough road to get out of there. There's cops coming up, uh, you know, sirens are flashing, and they pass our two agency guys in a van. Yes. (laughs) This might be my favorite single line delivery here, where Agent Krasny, the younger one, goes, What the deuce?
2: (laughs) (laughs) This is definitely the moment (laughs) when it all becomes very clear to me. Well, I guess it's this and then the next couple of moments, but just like, I'm like, oh, this is one of those wonderful moments in the Rockford Files where several differently interested parties
1: all collide.
2: Yeah. Quite often, if the feds are involved, they're involved because Rockford did something to raise their suspicion mm-hmm. and then draw them to unwittingly draw them to the mob or to, you know, whatever. But yeah, I'm like, I got excited at this <laughs> point. I was like,
1: yeah, typically or usually um, the feds are interested in something that is happening that yeah. also happens to be, you know, something that the mob is doing and then jim comes in from the doing something for someone involved with the mob yeah but then he attracts the attention of the feds and that's what complicates things here it's like jim went out on his lonesome grabbed the feds and then pulled them by the ear into yes. the situation by accident <laughs> which uh it's kind of inverting that a little bit which i like a lot But yes, they they put a tracker in the truck so they know where Jim's going. We cut to uh, Angel explaining uh, this backstory, because now Angel is the one who knows things. (laughs) Because it was back when he hung out at the Caputo Clam House. And every Friday night was Bula-based night. (laughs) So Joey B would come in every Friday night, get soup all over his shirt. He married a mob boss's daughter, and that is the uh, Lawrence Papa Frank, I believe, as he's called, family. But then he disappeared a year ago. So Jim's starting to put this all together, right? He's like, if you went off the deep end, uh, he could know a lot of secrets. Angel brings up, I think, brings up the point that I would have thought about. So speaking for the audience here, like, wouldn't yes. they just kill him? But Jim's uh, idea is that since he, since he married in and he's essentially family, then that probably protects him from just being killed. But they stashed him at this mental hospital instead to protect him from the other families. Yeah. And so Mary Jo, that's why they're after me, so I don't leak his location to anyone. So, like, they know who he is. She doesn't know who he is, but they don't know that she doesn't know who he is. Yeah. Rocky says that he's just a crazy guy.
0: He don't know nothing about chili except it's something to eat. I told you Uncle Sam was too good and too smart and too decent to do anything like this.
1: And I'm just typing ha 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 in capital letters in my notes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, Rocky.
1: Angel's name is on the registration in his car and they left the car. So they're going to find him and come after him. Uh, they being the mob. But Jim says they can make a deal because they're holding all the cards. Arguable.
2: <laughs> uh, I think he says. Or they have the best cards they're going to get. This is, this is the best shot we've got right now.
1: He's like, well, so we'll talk to them. Angel, of course. Well, when you talk to them, can you tell them that you stole my car and that Angel Martin's a great guy? <laughs> yeah, his, his line is like, listen,
2: Jimmy, you think you can slip it in before they kill you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like...
1: But uh, Papa Frank moved up to Carmel. So his, t- his son Tommy is the one in town. Uh, so and then we get to our other dramatic moment from the preview montage. It's time to make out the wills. Yes. As in okay. last will and testament. So I have a, a brief... Salvador Allende story for you oh okay well and also to kind of contextualize this so so Allende was a socialist president of Chile and then he's overthrown in a coup in 1973 and that's when Pinochet comes to power yeah and then there's a military dictatorship and it's you know horribly repressive and people are disappeared and all that stuff this episode's happening in 77 so this is like recent history. By now, do we know that the CIA was involved? And by we, I
2: mean like the American people. I don't know. I don't know either. I can say definitively by 1992, we do know. Yeah. Because I uh, I go off to college and I learned it.
1: Yeah. So two things. I assume that this is because I did a little bit of research, not a ton. Yeah. And there was a New York Times expose about some of the stuff While Nixon was still in office, I think. So like, or shortly after, because this was under Nixon's presidency. I kind of assume, given what we're told by this character in this episode, that it is at least not a stretch for people to be like, oh yeah, the CIA was involved with that. Yeah. Yeah. He does specifically say that that they're the ones who shot Ayande, and I guess there was, like, he he was exhumed in the early 2000s, and to, like, settle this, because that's been a question whether he killed himself, which is what was said at the time, or whether he was, like, assassinated. And it's been pretty definitively declared that he did commit suicide before the military could take control of the palace or whatever.
2: Ah. Which I didn't know. I did not know that either.
1: So there's some historical context for this, but also one element very specifically that that, uh, I think leads to my ongoing uh, radicalization over time. (sighs) I was in either eighth or ninth grade, I forget exactly, but I had a history class where I had to like do original research for something. Mm -hmm. I think there were some topics you could pick. And so like I picked this one or whatever. Anyway, I was doing original research on Salvador Allende and as a, you know, an eighth grader. Yeah. The internet exists. Wikipedia does not exist.
2: Right. Okay. Yeah. That that puts us in context. Yeah.
1: So there's like stuff in the library and then I'm looking up stuff on, I'm using, you know, AltaVista. You're asking Jeeves. I'm asking Jeeves. Yeah. I'm (laughs) I'm exploring the internet uh, back before everything was just a click away. And I found a website that linked to documents that I think were from cuz there was like a commission about this like a government mm-hmm. commission I think it was in the 80s maybe I forget exactly but like later that was like all right here's the commission on on, on American involvement with the overthrow of you know the Chilean government and I remember reading the summaries of these government documents and they were like uh uh redacted right there was stuff that was blacked out and everything yeah. But they're very specifically about like, all right, so here's the CIA agents that went to Chile and here's what they did and here's what their mission was and here's who they reported to. And here's like the, the American government like officials who denied any any knowledge even though they had it. And I was just like, wait, this happened? Like this is a yeah. thing that happens, <laughs> which just seems obvious now, right? But yeah, uh, as a, you know, young person doing original research and being like, the American government was involved with the overthrow of a foreign leader. <laughs> How is this not a bigger deal? Like I remember specifically thinking that, why are we talking about this all the time? Yeah. So this whole thing just made me flash back to that. And yeah. that like that feeling of, of simultaneous, like this doesn't seem right. And yes. why is
0: nobody
2: talking about this? Your very Rocky moment.
1: So yeah, there's a radicalization of a young of a young Nathan starts with redacted CIA involvement reports with the overthrow of Salvador Allende. So there we go,
2: full circle. We're back to the files of the Rockford. So
1: moving on, we cut to Jim talking to Tommy Lawrence, aka George Laros, <laughs> <laughs> aka Anthony Boy. This is good. This uh, we know he's a villain because he's poolside
2: mm-hmm. and yes. there's a phone.
1: <laughs> yes. And in the background, which I didn't notice until a couple minutes into the scene, there's a full breakfast bar
2: that someone is setting up. Uh, maybe even with the same platter of silverware that we saw at the beginning. That, very possible um, that uh, Angel stole. So Jim's
1: play is that he has copies of the wills that they made out, and the wills very specifically say if anything, you know, if any of these people die as a result of anything other than natural, you know, disease or natural yeah. causes, that is going to trigger friends of theirs to send telegrams. To all the heads of the mob families with the location of Tommy B. Tommy? Tony?
2: Uh, no, wait. Well, Tommy is uh, George Joey. Joey. We're talking to Tommy, talking about Joey. Uh, Right. So this will trigger
1: uh, telegrams to be sent to the heads of all the families about where Joey B is and what's up. Um, Tommy is not impressed with this, and he swore to his sister Barbara that he wouldn't let any harm come to her husband joey b then uh the guy from the boutique arrives dun 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 turns out his name is Vic, and uh if we had known that as you said at the time we would have been suspicious (laughs) and so he he appears to be tommy's you know like right hand man slash probably the connection between him and his dad so his dad's out of the picture up in um carmel but Vic, who's older is kind of like counseling tommy about stuff tommy asks uh rockford if he knows what buckwheats are (laughs) Yes. Which apparently is getting beaten. It's a good threat. He says, why go through buckwheats before you die? Yeah. he Yeah, so he's not afraid. They'll just move him again. And uh, Jim says, well, what's a better risk? All of the mob families knowing he's alive or three civilians who have no interest in this, who just want to be <laughs> out of it, who just keep a secret. You know, if if uh, everyone else finds out, maybe you'll be the one eating buckwheats. Yes.
0: Could be your wife or your kid. Ah! You know where you are, mister. Do you know who you're talking to, as you can make threats and give ultimatums? I don't care about your slop. I'll take my chances. Now you're going to tell me where Martin and the girl is.
2: He opens the scene, this whole scene with um telling Jim that he's he was dead when he walked in. Yeah. Here. I'm not threatening you with death. I'm threatening you with a, a type of death.
1: Right. With With pain before death.
2: Yeah, yeah
1: jim's deal is that if he doesn't leave there in an hour the telegrams start to fly tommy is clearly i like how we kind of are picking up on this has been an issue for tommy and he just wants it to go away but now it's yeah. right in his face it's like why me why am i like why is this family cursed by god <laughs> <laughs> it's uh all for one squirrely brother-in-law his sister is sulking on barbiturates and his father is plotting against him um you know, because he also just wants to get rid of Joey B. He just wants to put him in the ground. And Vic is counseling, like, you know, it's, maybe it's time to just let part of this go. Move on. Do other things. You have more important stuff to deal with. Right. And so he says that Rockford has a deal. Mm-hmm. So Jim starts to leave. He grabs something off the buffet on his way out. Which, uh, <laughs> of course, he does. But then Vic gets a phone call. And there's two guys outside staking out yeah. the place. Dun, dun, dun. Jim almost got out of there, but no. (laughs) And then we cut to they've brought in the R2 agents, Agent Simons and Krasny. And they're all in the, uh, I forget what he calls it. He's like the game room or something like that. Yeah. So now Jim is in an awkward spot (laughs) because he's like, I have nothing to do with them, but they know about the hospital like one of them mentions los brisa's hospital and tommy's like oh so first there were three and now there's five (laughs) who know about it you see how this kind of thing mushrooms i don't want to deal with it anymore i said he's gonna pop them all today and just be done with it he also doesn't really believe that they're federal agents they have their ids and stuff but you know he's like sure (laughs) yeah so the balance here is really interesting it's like tommy has the power because he has the guns (laughs) Jim is just trying to get out of it. He's like, we had a deal. Everything was fine. And now these guys are screwing it up. These guys are like, what are, you know, what is happening? Who are yeah, you? We have no idea. Why are you with him? Why did you come to talk to us? And then Tommy doesn't believe that they're agents. So like, well, who are you? Why are you with him? It's a good expression of the tangle of interests as they all just barreled yeah. into each other.
2: and, and, Tommy just has one solution for all of his problems. He's sick of complex solutions. He's got a very simple solution.
1: And then his sister is on her own. (laughs) So it sounds like he's going to deal with them and then probably just kill Joey B. Is that what he's implying? So we cut to the uh, F. Lawrence and Sons Bakery. Which is an extremely good sign. Uh, (laughs) I wonder if that's just a sign that was somewhere. So they named the family after them so they can use it. Because it looks very weathered and not really like a prop.
0: Yeah.
1: So the the goons hustle everyone in. Uh, Tommy grabs a giant whisk out of a barrel as they... I was wondering if that's... It's huge. What is this threat with the whisk? Is that how you get buckwheats? Uh, Agent Simons says uh, dead bodies have a way of turning up and causing problems. And then the goon turns on the giant bakery oven. So there's just the, <laughs> the flames behind them. And I think that's when it gets very real for the agents. Yeah.
2: I mean, the whole thing gets like even real for the audience here. Cause the, the, you know, I'm laughing about the whisk and then that fire comes on and then they're like, okay, now face down on the ground. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, f-.
1: yeah, <laughs> this is happening. Um, so Jim's like, look in eight minutes. I'm not going to mm-hmm. be out there and those telegrams are going to go out. This is your last chance. Tommy tells him to make a phone call. Tell him you're going to be OK. You know, we can kill you now or you can do this for us and we'll kill you later,
2: I guess. <laughs> like, Well, the, the threat was that he was going to, I think, just throw him in the oven live.
1: Yeah, because he's like, you want to see how fast flames consume yeah. a body or something like that. And so Jim's like, okay, okay, fine. Vic goes with him to go to the phone, and then we get uh, a classic Jim maneuver as they're going up these stairs, and Vic's right behind him with the gun. And then Jim just, like, stops like he's stumbled, like he's kind of, like, caught his toe or something, and so he just stops abruptly. Vic runs into him, and then before he can do anything, Jim spins around and grabs the gun, and they start scuffling.
2: It's classic. Very classic.
1: He shoots out a window and then shoots the fire alarm with the gun while Vic is also holding on to it. <laughs> so good crack shot Jim Rockford here. The goon with the feds uh, like turns to see what's going on.
0: Mm-hmm. One
1: of the feds trips him. So he goes down. The other guy gets the gun. Tommy's running after Jim. He's shooting at him. Jim's ducking behind big trays of like bakery carts and, and stuff. And then Agent uh, Krasny pops up behind Tommy and gives him a very 70s style karate chop on the yeah. neck and he goes down.
2: <laughs> so the, there's these bakery trays on the uh, carts that, that have them. So there's probably like four to six inches of clearance between each tray, uh, giant rows of these carts the the, the camera set so that you can see through them to the other side where the guy with the gun is hmm. so it feels like no cover at all but when you think about it it's just a bunch of metal yeah and and the distance that that bullet has to go uh you know ostensibly in a straight line I mean it's not really a straight line but like for for these purposes it is uh a little angle here or there is going to your your target is just that big it's mm-hmm. only those four inches from because any Any little bit of angle it's going to hit one of the other trays. But what I love about this scene is that the gunfire goes off. Jim doesn't get hit. And it doesn't seem to hit anything. (laughs) You just hear the gunfire. I don't know. It just, for me, I was, like, (laughs) expecting to see trays flip around or, you know, like... Ricochets of some kind. Yeah, like, he's missing. But where is he missing to? Uh, Probably someplace off camera. The physics of the situation was interesting enough to me that I got lost in it.
1: And then did did the... karate chop bring you back
2: oh dude oh I, in fact my notes are nice chop <laughs> yeah
1: <this is laughs> outside there are cops responding to the fire alarm I guess and yeah. they uh, corner Vic and you know have him up there arresting him Jim went outside then he goes back inside and uh agent Simon says
0: you got a lot of
2: explaining to do. I'm not too worried I'm licensed to work in this country you guys are supposed to be tending the Berlin Wall
1: Got him. Presumably, is served. Uh, yeah. And we end our episode back in group, uh, where Jim explains that the agency made threats, but they had nothing to back it up. Everything is resolved. One of the other members says that there's been a lot more excitement in the group recently, and they'll be sad to see Jim go. Uh, and Mary Jo says, um, Of course, I'm really happy that my fears were reality-based for a change. But it's much more than that. It
0: was a bad experience. Really bad. But I held together. I made it. Is this Mary Jo Flynn talking? I don't think I've ever heard you sounding so positive. It's terrific.
1: And like, this is a nice moment. Yeah. I feel like that is a underserved message in television and movies where it's like, Yes. you go (laughs) through a traumatic experience and acknowledge that it was difficult. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that all the time, especially, I mean, whatever their action, but especially for like action movies or right, like at right. the end of it, like, you know, our hero has like killed 12 people and been through all this stuff. It's like, and we'll, we'll end this with a, you know, a big laughing handshake or whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> that person is going to be in therapy for years.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So just her acknowledging that like, this was hard, yeah. but I got through it and that's what's important. That's nice. The leaders.
0: Mary Jo, you're talking around it. Oh, the man. How you feel about him?
1: She looks at Jim, makes makes eyes, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yes. And smiles and says, I like you, and I hope we'll always be close.
2: Right. So this is a very sweet moment. The way it was filmed felt vaguely ominous to me. <laughs> and I don't know if like that's just me and my own dating history. <laughs> sure. Or anything <laughs> like that. But I was like, whoa, uh." (laughs) I I think the thing to me, what made it ominous to me was that this is a thing that the leader of the group therapy made her confess to Jim Mm -hmm. in group therapy which puts Jim in a spot where he has to be like, yes.
1: Yeah, well, he like smiles. and He's like, same same here, Mary Jo.
2: I'm going to just like be super honest here. I was in a very similar situation and my answer was not same here. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I had to say same here because of the situation. Uh, Like there's just a ton of pressure in that moment. Mm -hmm. There's the whole group therapy like.
1: We're all now staring at you. Yeah. Waiting for (laughs) you to make this moment. That should go a certain way. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, right? Because, like, on the one hand, this idea of, like, why don't you share what you're actually feeling right now has been yes. an important driver of stuff in this group and yes. is an important therapeutic question. Yes. But, like, the directed nature of, like, all right, now share how you really feel about this specific person who we're all sitting with right now.
2: Now, kiss.
1: Yeah. It's... <laughs>
2: a little weird it was meant to be sweet i think it is
1: meant to be sweet i didn't really read it as ominous i mean i think (laughs) it's a little inappropriate but i think it's also like implying that perhaps they you know end up having something outside of group seems fair enough to me
2: but let's get to the real meat of this which is
1: asking angel to tell them his emotions as he's been through this whole thing as well and he says that he's just glad that the agency didn't find out about my gun running days And making the correct call, the group leader uh, tells him to stop concocting stories, to, to evade being vulnerable with us. <laughs> we all know that's yeah. what you're doing. Like, just be honest for for once.
0: I don't have to make up phony stories. Didn't you hear what I said? I said I was glad that the agency closed the books on us. Otherwise, I might have found out about the time I was running guns down to the rebels in Guatemala. Me and another guy. Dead. Man. That's right.
1: And we cut outside to the van where there's the agency guys (laughs) still listening in. And we see the reel-to-reel recording Angel's wild story about smuggling (laughs) guns. And that's our freeze frame on the (laughs) reel-to-reel.
2: That was fun. Thank you, Richard Haddam. Uh, That was a wonderful uh, suggestion.
1: I was a little apprehensive because I do feel like the the mental health premise, I was like, okay, I don't remember how this goes. Right. But I think as we talked about at the top, it ends up handled more honestly and thus not, it's not very, it's not like cringy or anything. Maybe yeah. a little bit with Joey B, you know, his story or whatever, but it's, uh, yeah, she is treated as fully realized this kind of character as any other character that hires Jim to help her out in a jam. Yeah. That's good. Uh, We get the good mob stuff. So that's the David Chaseness. (laughs) (laughs) We get uh, George Laros, who's always a delight um, with his giant whisk. Yeah. I don't know what it is about the NIA guys just kind of like hamming it up that it could be a more serious episode and it's not that serious. It is more comedic than non. And part of that is the NIA um, guys and how they behave. But uh, it just seems a little weird to me that they're so kind of silly. But maybe that's just, you know,
2: those actors. Yeah, I mean, I could I could definitely see that. Uh, so the question is, if they were done more serious, then how much more trouble would Jim be in? Yeah,
1: they'd be more of a threat, really. Yeah,
2: so they're not bumbling. Although mm-hmm. they definitely, at the end of it, still don't know what the hell... <laughs> they got rolled up into yeah and they can't right like they're the like jim says very specifically he's licensed to work within la mm-hmm. they're not so they can't like everything they're doing is illegal they're another criminal organization <laughs> right so yeah it's it's interesting but yeah i totally i see what you're I, I see your point and i'm trying to figure out like
1: yeah it's not really a criticism it's just kind of like th- this episode has like some weird little rough edges that aren't bad. They're just like, hmm, like the pen. Yeah. Hmm, okay.
2: The other clue that's a little weird to me, and it's uh, I know how to explain it away, I just don't, is the Jim gets Tommy and his goon chase Jim down into the alleyway. Jim goes to check his tire pressure on his tire, uh, or pretend to, and he looks over and he sees this tag on the car that says it's from the hospital right Mm -hmm. but why would that tag be on the mob car like maybe it's a visitors
1: it's a visit yeah it's a visit he specifically says it's a visitor sticker from the park okay all
2: right never mind then yeah i had this moment of like i guess i was running under the the impression that they were from the hospital because i was expecting the plot to be some criminal fraudulent hospital thing Um, you know like mm -hmm. at the time so that probably confused me but anyways Overall, though, it was a fun, fun romp.
1: Yeah, and definitely fun because I didn't really remember the twist. So, like, yeah. when it all came together, I was like, oh, right, yes, this is fun. Um, In that way where, as we talked about in the episode, like, all the different interests running into each other. Yeah. We see where everyone's motivation is. We see why this can't be solved necessarily just by talking it out. Yeah. So, like, why there is conflict, and then we see how that, you know spills over into escalation and it's it's good stuff so because you know we did have some questions or at least i had some questions i took a look at the entry in ed robertson's 30 years of the rockford files and there are exactly one and a half paragraphs about this episode and it's just talking about who (laughs) who the guest stars are so (laughs) there's no okay no wisdom i don't know why the pen was there (laughs) <laughs> um though uh the son of bing crosby isn't it
2: oh yeah i saw that in the uh i mean i saw a crosby
1: i don't know what character that is he's
2: beau oh he's one
1: of the um he's probably one of the group members
2: oh yeah and he and there's one that that calls angel out on his b- that's probably him so there you go oh he's good he's had something of a career gary crosby yeah yeah. Well, so
1: thanks again to uh, Richard Haddam for the suggestion. Yeah. Keep them coming. Tweet us at 200pod or email us at 200a Podcast at gmail.com or contact us on Patreon at patreon.com slash 200a day. Yeah. We'll uh, go figure out where our local clam house is.
2: Clam house. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe drop
1: in for a vegan bula night. But we will see you next time when we talk about another
0: episode of The rock Files.
2: Pues pues, pues, pues,
0: pues, pues